So I got this call, and, you know, here's Kaya finally arrived, and we've been talking about this adoption thing with the Coopers for so long, and it got me really thinking about uh, adoption as a whole. And, and it's interesting, just this morning, as we, as we kind of... Uh, awoke to the dawn, Grace was uh, on her iPad, she, she, she was watching this video on adoption, and it was about uh, foster parents who adopted a, um, I think she must have been 17 or something, um, and, and, and just the emotion that poured out of this, this young woman, knowing that she finally had a family of her own. And uh, again, just got me thinking about um, adoption and, and our adoption as children of God. The Apostle Paul, he, he speaks extensively about this in the books of Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. He talks about our adoptions as children, that God brings us into his family, um, that uh, he uses the analogy of uh, being ingrafted branches, that there is this plant um, and that there's a, a wild olive plant uh, and we're like wild shoots and we've been grafted into this body and he has called us his own. He has adopted us into that family. Uh, and if you might remember, I, par- I preached from Mark chapter 3 not so long ago uh, where, where um, Jesus is with his disciples. He's teaching and his mother and his brothers come uh, and they, they, they ask for him. Uh, and then he says to these people, who are my mother and brother? and sisters. It is you if you do the will of God. And in that moment, you have Jesus who kind of cast his glance out into these, these people who are, are following him, who are desiring to be like him and, and join him in what God has called him to. Uh, and he, in, in a sense, calls into being this eschatological family. He, in a sense, brings us all into this family, and we are then adopted, and we are called sons and daughters, children of God. And so thinking about adoption led me then to think about God as father uh, and some of the fatherly qualities that he has. Um, he is loving, you know, 1 John 4, um, uh, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. God is love. Uh, he's a loving father. He's a giving father. Luke chapter 11, where he says that, you know, uh, for those of you who are fathers, um, you, if, your, if your child comes and asks for bread, would you give them a stone? Would you give them a serpent? No, you would give them good gifts. How much more does the father in heaven, does your father in heaven give good, give good gifts to you? Um, if you ask him for it. And so we have a giving father, we have a patient father. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9 talks about that um, he is not slow in keeping his promises. He desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. We have a father who is patient with us. Uh, and that's just to, to name a few. I mean, he is faithful, he is merciful, he is kind. Um, but let's not forget the other end of things as well. Um, God is a disciplinarian. God the Father is a disciplinarian. And so our scripture today is taken from the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 3, verses 11 to 12. And it says this, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 to 12, it says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So our passage today talks about discipline. 
And I know when our minds go to discipline, we, we, we start to think about the how. What does discipline look like? We're not going to talk about that today. But what we will talk about uh, is not the expression of discipline that God brings to in our lives, but the motivation behind it. And more importantly, our attitude toward that discipline. Because the, the fact that God disciplines is right there in the Bible. It's evident in Scripture. It's really it's just assumed and accepted as truth. So we're going to think about and, and look at God and how he disciplines us as his children. So let's start there. Why does God discipline his children? Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this, as we, as we reflect today on your fatherliness, uh, as who you are as father in our lives and what it means to be a child of God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds uh, and our ears, Lord, to... to to take this word and to let it, Lord, sink deep into our hearts, that we would be transformed, that we would be changed by it, and that we would um, look to you, Lord, um, for all of our needs, to trust in your love and kindness and your goodness. Um, Father, bless this time that we have together today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about discipline today. Now, I don't know how many of you were disciplined by your parents. Uh, I had a godmother who was the disciplinarian in my life. Um, you know, it's funny when you think of that word godmother. How many of you, th when I say godmother, think Cinderella? Fairy godmother. Any of you? Yeah. You know, fairy godmothers are supposed to be, you know, cute and helpful. And, uh, you know, they come and they, they wave their wand around and they solve all your problems, right? That's what a fairy godmother is supposed to do. Well, my godmother also had a wand. And this is what it looked like. This is how important it is to me. I keep it in its own special case. So this is a feather duster. This was my, god, my godmother's wand. So my godmother was a diminutive woman. She was probably about, she's probably about yay high. She's gotten shorter over the years, to be honest. But she's about this big, okay? Um, and, you know, um, not, not a big frame. Uh, but she was probably the most God-fearing woman that I know. And she took the Bible literally when it says, spare not the rod, okay? And I know this looks all fluffy, but if you turn it around like that, <laughs> whole different story. This was her rod of choice for discipline. And I had my fair share of run-ins with this feather duster. Uh, I remember making a lewd gesture to my god sister one day. Whack. There was another time when uh, I had, there was this ill-conceived yo-yo trick that I was doing, and uh, I, I bonked my sister on the head. Whack. Not to mention the time that I, uh, I swung on the curtains like Tarzan and brought the, all the hardware down with me. You get the picture. Needless to say, I was not fond of this feather duster. And one day, I got into my head, and I thought to myself, if there was no feather duster, there would be no discipline. Now, this is the foolishness of, like a, of an eight-year-old, right? So my godbrother and I, who had the same feelings towards the feather duster, uh, schemed to get rid of it. <laughs> 
So we put this plan into action. We knew where it was kept. It was kept in the closet um, just behind the hats and umbrellas on the top shelf. We knew it was there because that's where she would get it from when she meted out her discipline. My godmother was upstairs, and we knew that she'd be there. She had just gone upstairs, so she'd be there for at least a little while. Quickly, we grabbed a chair, slid it silently across the parquet floor, planted it in front of the closet. He got up on, on the chair. It was, still wasn't quite tall enough. I had to balance precariously on his knee, reaching around in the back, felt it, grabbed it, threw the chair back where we found it, ran down to the basement, and we hid it away. Godmother was none the wiser. We thought we had executed the perfect crime. No feather duster, no discipline, right? Because no one likes to be disciplined. How many of you enjoy when discipline comes into your life? None of us do, because discipline hurts. It, it bites, it stings physically um, sometimes, emotionally all of the time. Because discipline forces us to face ourselves, to see ourselves in a new way. It says to us that there is something that needs to change, and we need to fundamentally shift our self-understanding as a result of discipline. At least that is what discipline is supposed to do when it's done correctly. It's supposed to help us to see a new way of things for ourselves, a better way, a good way. But no one likes being told that they're less than perfect. No one likes being told that they need to change. Parents, think about your kids. I think about my kids right now. I can go on and on about how they react to discipline. Because you tell them, you want to teach them to clear the table. And when you teach them to clear the table, what they hear is, I'm irresponsible when I don't. Right? You want to teach them to care for others. And what they hear is that, I'm selfish. You want to teach them to uh, put in the work to get the result and what they think, oh, maybe I'm lazy. But these are all things that, that they need to work on as children. But nobody wants to hear that they need to change. It's tough, even for us as adults. But the truth is that we're all a people in process. We are imperfect creatures. We were born in sin. I mean, we're... we're there is a way for us to go. And when God adopted us into his family, he began a work in our lives where the Bible calls sanctification. Now, I know that's a big, you know, Bible word, sanctification, but this is basically what it means. Sanctification means uh, at the heart of it that we are set apart, that we are to be made holy, um, that we begin to do the things that God wants us to do, and we hate the things that God hates. This is that process of sanctification. Um, it's to be made more and more like him, to be conformed more to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, to be like Jesus. Now, that's not an easy process, and it's often a painful one, to say the least. But the truth of the matter is that it's also non-negotiable in the life of a true believer. If you are a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, then discipline will come. Sanctification is happening in your life. Our passage says, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. It is a, mat it's, it is a statement of fact. It's not a conditional statement. It doesn't say, 
If the Lord disciplines you, then do not despise it. It is assumed that this is going to happen in our lives. But because we need to be disciplined, because we do not of our own volition conform to the image of God. We do not naturally go the way that God desires for us to go. We see this throughout the Bible as well. We all like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah. Each has turned to his own way. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Clothe yourselves with Christ. There's this action that there's this we need to change. We need to be made more like Christ. Because who among us has naturally embraced discipline? Who among us has run headlong into the, uh, into the arms of the one who wields the rod? We don't. That's, it's not our nature. But Psalm 23 says something interesting. It says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I don't know about you, but I never found comfort in this. At least not when I was young. Because more often than not, we find no comfort in the rod. We see only the rod and not the one who wields the rod. Listen to the psalmist. Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. There is a benefit to God's discipline in our lives. It's not about the rod itself. It is about the one who wields it. And so we need to learn as children of God to move from despising discipline to recognizing and accepting, and dare I say, welcoming and embracing the correction that God brings into our lives. Again, it is a statement of fact. It is going to happen. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to respond? The biblical character Job was a man who... um, who was blessed by God and was faithful. And as the Bible tells us, the devil came and asked God that he should test somebody. And God pointed him to Job and saying, here's here's the man. And the devil says, well, he's only faithful because of everything he has. You have blessed him abundantly. He has wealth. He has children. He has his health. All of that. If you took that away, I don't know if he would bless your name. And God says, try him. And so you have this person of Job. And in his story, he says something really interesting. He says, he says to God, he says about God, he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This is Job who has everything, everything taken away from him. His wealth destroyed. His family, his children, literally obliterated before his eyes. He is stricken by sickness and disease. And through it, he is able to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job has every reason to reject and turn his back on God. Yet he says... 
even if my life were taken from me by God, I, the trust I have in him would not waver. How can Job say something like that? How can we trust in a God that slays, in a God that hurts, in a God that injures? Listen again to the psalmist. Psalm 143, verse 8. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. It is the steadfast, unfailing love of God that the psalmist trusts in and that we should trust him. We trust in his love. We trust in God's eternal, immutable character of love. We trust that God is in and of himself love. Now, I don't know if you've considered that, that we as people, as human beings, fallen, we can express love. We can show love. We can experience love. But God is not only the author of love, he is love in and of himself. So that is who he is. Now, we have a father who loves us, but we think about parental love in our culture today, and there's a twistedness to it. Parental love in our culture today says freedom. It says, let your child discover who he or she is or who he or she is supposed to be. Let, her, let the child discover him or herself. Parental love today says we need to minimize the feelings of negativity. Don't say no to your child. I know parents who live by that. Don't say no. I don't know how that, it wouldn't work in my family. I don't know how it would work. Parental love in today's society says that um, the more perpetually blissful your beloved is, the more you love them. I mean, is that true? Is that what the Bible has to say? Because parental love, according to the Bible, says the Lord disciplines those he loves. True, fatherly, parental love demands discipline. True, fatherly, parental love demands discipline. I would dare say that God's fundamental fatherliness is shown in the way he disciplines his children. That word in our passage for discipline is the, in Hebrew is musar. It's, uh, it means to instruct, to train, to strengthen, especially as it pertains to um, correcting errant behavior. So instruction is at the heart of discipline. And these are all fatherly qualities. This is the difference between punishment and dis, um, discipline. Punishment is punitive. It's meant to make restitution. Discipline is instructive. It is meant to teach to steer in the correct way. When I was on uh, this tour, when I was riding, so it started out in Vancouver. There's a group of 20 who cycled and is cycling, continuing to cycle onto Halifax, nine weeks across Canada. Um, I only did one week, one leg. Uh, and so on this trip, I was the chaplain. So I was the one kind of bringing spiritual, um, spiritual guidance to the group. Um, I had to share uh, from God's word every day. On this ride, we had the worst possible day of riding. 
Uh, and this is from people who rode seven weeks prior to this, coming into this week, across Canada, through the Rockies. We had a day on Tuesday when we rode from Coburg to Kingston on our bikes. 167 kilometers. I don't know if you remember what it was two Tuesdays ago. 35 kilometer a mile headwinds, torrential downpour, and cold, okay? And everyone agreed, even those who went for the whole trip, agreed that that was absolutely the worst day of the entire trip. And then on Wednesday, it was beautiful. I started out, I rode 100 kilometers, I felt like I could go another 100. The sun was out, the weather was perfect. It was like God was smiling on us. And so when I shared um, that Wednesday night, God brought me to a passage in Hosea. It made me think about sometimes the way he works. Hosea chapter 6 verse 1 says this. Oh, Hosea was a prophet, he was, um, and, and God would raise up prophets in the life of his chosen people, Israel. Uh, he would use them to uh, bring a message to them, usually a message of repentance, sometimes a message of destruction um, if they were wayward, but um, always with a message of repentance. Uh, and so Hosea was called as a prophet, as a symbolic sign act, to marry a prostitute, to show um, the waywardness, the vacillation of what it is that Israel was to God. And so in this message that Hosea brought to the people of Israel, he implores them with this sentence. He says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. And the juxtaposition of these two days, the worst of days and the best of days, brought me to think about the kind of discipline and love that God brings into our lives. Because God the Father loves us enough to discipline us, but he does not leave us alone to cry in a dark corner licking our wounds. No, when he, when he um, deals the blow of discipline, he immediately casts aside the rod and he collects us up in his strong embrace, his restorative fatherly embrace. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He neither leaves us nor forsakes us. He comes and he heals us. God disciplines, yet he also heals. He afflicts us, yet he binds up our wounds. God's love, his fatherly love, demands discipline because if he did not discipline, we would go our own way. But he wants us to bring us and steer us into his, own, into his way but he doesn't leave us to do that on our own. He comes back and he gathers us up into his arms. The love of God the Father is displayed in the lives of his children by his marks of discipline. How do we know that we are children of God? How do we know that we follow him truly? you will see the marks of discipline in your life if you are a true follower of Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse seven to eight. It is for discipline that you have to endure. 
God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. This statement was truer for no one else than for God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was disciplined in his earthly life. Jesus is God's son. If you remember at his baptism, before his ministry, before the miracles, before anything transpired, uh, at his baptism when he came to to John, um, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son, chosen and marked by my love, the pride of my life. Jesus, I mean, God established his binding union with Jesus as father and son in that moment. And he said unequivocally, this is my son. Being a child of God, friends, is not about earning or meriting. It is not about coercion. It is not bought. Uh, You cannot buy it. Being a child of God is a matter of choosing. And in the same way that God chose Jesus, God chooses you and adopts you into his family. And we have just heard that Jesus was marked by God's love. That Jesus was marked by God's love. How? How do we see that Jesus was marked by God's love? You see it in his suffering. Jesus was marked by God's love in his suffering. The prophet Isaiah foretold of this in in chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah, verses 3 to 4. He was despised, speaking about Jesus, the prophecy about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus is undeniably, he is explicitly the object of God's highest affection. Yet his life was characterized by suffering. His life was characterized by discipline. He endured discipline from the Father, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 to 9. Although he was a son, again, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus is the true son of God, yet he suffered to learn obedience. God disciplined our Lord, his only begotten son, so that we could be saved so that we could have life, so that we could be his children. We see this again in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus himself endured suffering and discipline from the Father as a son as the Son of God. So in the same way that Jesus is God's Son, marked by his love, marked by suffering, marked by, um, 
marked by discipline, so are we as true believers, as God's children, we need to be marked by God's discipline as well. The Apostle Paul in Galatians says this. He says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He meant it literally. Paul was a man who uh, endured torture and beatings uh, for the sake of his Savior, Jesus Christ. So he bore the marks of Jesus. Now, we today may not bear physically the marks of Jesus, though, though some do in parts of the world, as we've been seeing in the news. Um, those who are, are suffering for the sake of their faith in Jesus Christ. But we can bear the marks of his love, of his suffering, of, of, of suffering and discipline by not despising the discipline that God brings into our lives. We do it by embracing that work of sanctification. You are marked by, Christ, by God's love by embracing sanctification, by being transformed, being conformed to the image of God's Son. Hebrews chapter 12 goes on to say this, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to take this down. God's ultimate desire as a father for you and I as his children, his ultimate desire as a father is not to have us happy, but holy. Not to have us rich, but righteous. Not to give us praise, but to give us peace. Hear that again. His desire for us ultimately as a father is not to have us happy, but holy, not to have us rich, but righteous, not to give us praise, but to give us peace. So child of God, let holiness and righteousness and peace, which are the results of discipline, be the marks of Christ upon you. I have to finish the feather duster story because it didn't quite end just that way. So my godbrother and I, we were sitting, basking in the glory of having you know, perpetrated the perfect crime. And we hear our godmother, or my godmother, his mother, we hear her coming down the stairs. And we're all smug, and we're like, this is great. And then she starts to head to the closet. And we're like, what does she need in the closet? And she starts to reach up on the top, and we're like, oh, no. The fatal flaw in our plan. Instrument of discipline? Feather duster. She actually used it to dust. So we're sitting there, and, and, and the horror begins to kind of, as this realization dawns on us. 
And the only consolation that we have as we look at each other and we recognize, you know, just, just what we're into, that at least she doesn't have a feather duster that she can, you know, smack us with. And so as we turn back to the closet, she's not there anymore. And we're like, where did she go? She appears to her, I don't know how she does it. It's like, she does it all the time. She appears like beside us. And she's got a feather duster in her hand. It was a new feather duster. She, she, must, kept, she must have kept some spare somewhere. <laughs> I learned three things that day in retrospect. Number one, you cannot escape the rod. There's always another feather duster somewhere. God's discipline is inescapable, but it's always corrective. It's never destructive. He's there to steer you in the right direction. He does it out of love. He wants to draw you to himself. Number two, I can trust in the mind and the love that wields the rod. Now, when I was a child, I didn't always understand um, the why of why I was disciplined by my godmother. But what I always knew and what I always trusted in was that she loved me and that she wanted what was best for me. And I regard her with the same tenderness and, and reverence and respect today as I did when I was six or when I was eight. Number three, I am a product of that discipline. Friends, love would be incomplete without discipline, without instruction, without that teaching. And that discipline and that instruction flows naturally out of the love that the Father has for you. So children of God, legitimate children of God, when our Heavenly Father brings discipline into your life, will you despise it? Or will you embrace it, trusting in His eternal character of love which transforms you? And will you become weary of His reproof? Or will you bear the marks of his discipline as a testament to his unfailing love as a child in whom the Father delights? Let's pray. Father, you are a God that loves us in every way that you see fit and best. And even though sometimes we don't fully comprehend why you do the things you do and the ways that you do. Lord, we pray that you help us to recognize, to accept, and even embrace and welcome when you bring discipline to our lives because you are counting us as your children and you are bringing us along on the road of sanctification, of being made more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, whom we call our Lord, whom we call our master. So, Father, speak to each and every one of us in this moment that we would come to you, that we would expect it from you, thankful that you love us in this way. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.